Thank you for joining us at Luminous Church. And this morning, we hope that you see Jesus clearly. Good to see you this morning. I'm sorry, Blaze, my microphone was off. And so, hey, it's good to see you this morning. Go ahead and shake your neighbor. Wake them up. Wake them up. I'm hoping to wake you up this morning through this message this morning. I have big shoes to fill this morning. How many of you were here last week? You don't have to confess to that, but my wife brought the Mother's Day message. And so she did. Incredible. So thankful for you, babe. And and that word and <clears throat> Somebody came up to me afterward and said, dude, she just showed you up. So, so I asked my wife to come every week to preach, but she denied that request. So here I am before you this morning. So excited to be here this morning with you in the monsoon. Um, J-Dom said my pants were wet, but I want to just correct that. My pants are wet, and so they are very wet, actually, and um, it was crazy out there. And so if you do want to join up the setup team, I would love that. You can go pick up the trailer in monsoon weather. We would very much appreciate that. Um, man, our setup team did incredible this morning. I know that J-Tom tooted their horn, but I want to give them a big hand. Here's why. Here's why before we do. Because, because they showed up at 7 o'clock. It was pouring outside, and, and they just got to work. I, I thought I was going to have to have this moment where I was going to have to rally them up and champion them and, and re-explain the vision of why we do what we do. But apparently, they already knew that, and they just went and set up everything. They braved the rain. They, they helped usher you in this morning with umbrellas. I'm just so thankful for the men in our church and the way they lead. Can we give them a big hand for leading us this morning? And the way they served our church, it's really, it's, it was my heart that we would have a church like that. This next three weeks, we're going to endeavor on this journey together on this series called Draw Near. And it's really after my heart, I love this passage that I'm going to share with you. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4 this morning, or you can open up the Luminous Church app. There we'll have the scripture for you this morning. But I love, I love James, and I love this passage. But at the same time, this passage is a little harsh. It's going to make you feel a little uncomfortable this morning. And, and I'm hoping to bring some context to what James was saying and some clarity for you. Because I think when we read scripture, sometimes what we do is we call, we use the words proof text where we take a certain scripture. How many of you have opened the Bible? You close your eyes, you point to a scripture, and that's your scripture for the rest of your life. Anybody done that? Yes, yes. We've all done that and we apply that and we butcher it most oftentimes and we, we make it say things that we want it to say and I won't lie as your pastor I probably do that some and I repent to you for doing that and I will get better and better for not putting my ideas around this text but ask that the Holy Spirit would speak so clearly through his text and his word this morning so I want to explain this to you James chapter 4 verse 1 what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you it is not this that your passions are at war within you. Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? Verse two, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Verse three, 
You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Verse 5, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scriptures say he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, humble, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Does anybody feel better about themselves? Probably not. I don't. After reading that scripture, that is quite, quite blunt there, James. I appreciate your bluntness, your honesty. And and so what are you really saying, James? And I just know, and I had an epiphany a while back that I'm jacked up. I'm jacked up. When I gave my life to Jesus, it was so awesome. And yet I kept sinning. I kept doing stupid stuff. And so when I was a youth pastor, I would have everybody repeat after me and say, I'm jacked up. I would love for you to do that this morning. Say, I'm jacked up. Point to your neighbor and you'll love this and say, you're jacked up. And I'm not talking about muscles. I'm talking about sin. Man, we are messed up. We are messed up big time. And, and I know this. And our culture is messed up. And everything is messed up. And everything is jacked up. In 1907, this word came about as, as men children who came about. And they started growing up. They, they love to do childish things. Men, men, it's hard for men to mature. And it's, it's been no different as today with these millennials as it was 100 years ago. In 1907, though, the word came out to these men who loved their pleasure, love their lust, and love to go after their passions. They called them playboys. And as a playboy would go about, he would pursue everything that was in his heart. And it wasn't just women, but it was, it was a lifestyle. It followed a lifestyle that, that more money, more things, more, more that I can obtain. And, and men just have a hard time growing up because, you see, if you stay in your childness, if you stay in your youthfulness, then you can shuck responsibility. And if you shuck responsibility, then no longer do you need accountability. And so what we have here is we have a bunch of people who, who started going around and, and just having their own passions and their own desires. And they begin to do this. And James recognized this. He said, man, there's a bunch of people who are jacked up and, and they're constantly at war within themselves. But it wasn't just James who recognized this. But most of the apostles did and most of the epistles you read, you'll find this to be true. Paul writes in Galatians 5.17, Oh, the flesh sets its, sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. You see, there's a war that's going inside of us. Peter would say it like this in 1 Peter 2.11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. How many of you can admit that there is a war going on inside of you? There is this desire 
There's the desire in you to draw near to God. There's the desire into you to pursue the things of God. There's a desire in you to pursue his passions and his love and all that he has. And yet there's something pulling against you. It's your own passions, your own insecurities. It's all these things that are warring against you in your flesh. And it's really what came about in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And I want to read this because I think it's all true because this is where maybe this war started with inside of us. He said to the woman, the serpent said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. You can't even touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. In the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This pride came up inside of them. It, it, it said that, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe there is something to this. Maybe I do know what's best. Self-exaltation where I will magnify myself, realizing that maybe I, I do know what's best. How many of you know that in our day, in our society, it's all about what makes you happy? How many of you have heard that? Well, I feel happy. It's all about my happiness. In fact, I hear it all the time. I hear it from married couples and I hear it from those who have been in the church for decades where it's all about my happiness. And as I began to seek my happiness, then I began to find that my happiness only comes about through maybe some passions and what feels good and what's good in the moment. And it's a bunch of impulsive decision making that begins to happen. In verse 4, James, it says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We read that oftentimes, that, that if you're in the church, and when I say church, we oftentimes address you as church. You'll hear Ashley up here engaging you in worship, and she says, raise your hands, church, posture yourself, church, let's pray, church. And as we do that, we're talking about everybody who's here in our worship experience, who, who sits under the banner of Luminous, but we're also talking about all those who sit under the banner of Jesus, and it's, it's us in this room, but it's also us outside this room with a body of believers. And those body of believers, the church oftentimes reads this and starts to exclude themselves. 
In fact, they, they start looking at you and say, who, who you been hanging out with? Why are you hanging out there? Why, why are you going to Fox and Hound? Why are you hanging out with all these people? Why are you doing all these things? You know, you're supposed to be separate from them. Don't make friends with the world. And I would argue that this is not what James is talking about at all. In fact, I want to encourage you to hang out with the world. I want you to hang out with lost people because when you hang out with lost people, you're going to be the only church they see that week. And you have to be the church that they see that week. So this is not talking about hanging out and and who you're hanging out with and spending time with. It's who are you influenced by? Who are you influenced by? Who are you allowing to have a voice in your life to dictate the way that you live? It was direct opposition to God. He was saying, be friends with God. Don't be friends with the world. Meaning, get your influence. Get your direction from God and God alone. But you're being shaped by the people around you. It's why when you hang out with people in, in, in bars and clubs and your neighbors and, and people around you, it's when you do that and they say, um, and they start telling you to live a certain way. That's when it's an opposition towards God. So James is not saying don't, don't hang out with them, but, but don't forsake your God friendship. Don't forsake your God friendship. And God, he is a heart reader more than he is a mind reader. He's looking at the condition of your heart. He's, he's wondering what's going on in that heart. And, and as you're doing and living a certain life, are you moving against the things of God? Or do you really want to please God? And that's what James is saying here. And it says in verse 5 that he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Everybody say, God is jealous for me. Not of you. God is not jealous of you. He doesn't want to be you. Trust me, you're jacked up. God is jealous for you. He wants your affections because when he created you and he made you, he put a soul in you that he so loves that was created in his image and he wants it back. And he wants that soul to bring glory to his name all the days of our life. He is so jealous for us. And although I am jacked up, in verse 6, says, but he gives more grace. You're jacked up. I'm jealous for you. You're messing up. You're quarreling. You're fighting. In 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 your conscious, you're fighting. You're arguing with Jesus over and over again. But even in that, more grace and more grace and more grace that Jesus will not stop fighting for your affection, that he loves you. And as he loves you and as he pursues you, he begins to show himself to you and illuminates himself. He will constantly pursue you. He will constantly go after you. And, you know, when we begin to ask for Jesus and we get this free gift of grace, which Romans would describe as eternal life in Christ Jesus, that's the free gift. But it's not just eternal life in Christ Jesus, but even more, it's his presence. That God's gift ultimately is his presence. 
that we would be with him and dwell with him all the days of our life. That's why in Genesis 3, 9, as Adam and Eve, they sin against God and they're in their shame and they're in their guilt and they're listening to this fight in their mind. They begin to hide themselves and they sow fig leaves and they begin to say, oh God, we're ashamed, we're afraid, we, we can't come near. God's ultimate response, which never gets old to me, is what did he do? He went looking for them. He cries out like a whisper out of the clouds above the ocean. Where are you? Where are you, Stephen? Where are you? Come near to me, for I have made a way for you. I uh, enjoy being a parent. I'm having a great time at it. But as you know, when they're cute and cuddly, it's so fun, but... The older they get, they, they get this their own personality, and all of a sudden they have an opinion. And it's just, I'm baffled by it. That's why I talk about it every week. I'm, it's really, you're my coping mechanism. Can I use you? I need you in my life. And, and, and Benson, Benson has an opinion over the last month or two, and he has a will of his own. And I used to say, hey, come here, buddy. And he would come running up to me. And now I say, come here, buddy. Come here, buddy. Hey, hey, come here. Hey, you know what's good for you? You better come here. And he's resistant. He has a will of his own. And I love him. I'm, I'm enamored by my son. I'm trying not to child worship. It's really hard. I'm laying it down. But the only reason I want him to come near is because I want to love him. It's like... I want you to come here because I just want to cuddle on the couch and watch cartoons. And I want to hug you, and, and it makes me feel all good and warm inside. And, and I love you. That's why I want you to come near. And my child sometimes doesn't want to be held, believe it or not. And sometimes has a will of his own and sometimes wants to do his own thing. But what's amazing is when he does come near, I draw near to him. Draw near to him in my heart and my affections and my love and all that I have. I draw near to him. And it's really what Jesus wants for you. He's saying, come here. Come here. Come over here. Come over here. I want to love on you today. In verse 7, there's two promises that I love in James. We're going to focus on one of the promises in this series. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a good promise. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a promise. I'm sure we'll preach about that promise. Some of us need that promise preached to us. But the second promise, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I think oftentimes that we don't draw near to God because of the first part of James. Well, we, well, we maybe have made some friendships in the world where maybe things are shaping us from the world, where maybe, maybe we do feel ashamed and afraid. 
It's amazing how humanity's response, and it'll be something that we wrestle with over and over again, and it's why I come, urge you to come to church and bring your friends so I can remind them that, that God loves them, and no matter where you are, God loves you. It's why we say over and over again that, that you will belong here even before you believe. That is a safe place in here. That wherever you are with Jesus, it's safe because I want to remind you of that and I want you to tell your friends about that because, you know, they're coming into these doors and they're not thinking it's safe. You know, a lot of them have sown fig leaves, figuratively speaking, where they've been trying to clean up themselves and they sit there during worship and they're making a checklist of, of everything good they did that week and everything bad. And if the good outweighs the bad, they feel okay about themselves and they may read the words on the screen. If they feel bad, they'll just sit there quietly and not read the words on the screen and wait till it's completely over and wondering if anybody really, really loved them. We want you to belong before you believe because we really believe that when you do, Jesus is going to love on you. And he's going to reveal himself to you in ways that you cannot even imagine. I believe that. For us in here, as you come in, it's okay, what do we do and how do we draw near? What should our position look like? And it is one of humility. Psalm 138.6 says this, For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. So we have this place where, where Jesus is saying, man, there's pride in us and we're all jacked up, but we want to be in his presence and we want to be near him. And so it takes a positioning and a and a humility, and those who walk through this door, I, I, I guarantee you, I really feel like that you're in putting yourself in a position. Verse 9, and James says this, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. He will exalt you. It's crazy. James, what are you doing? You're so mean. Okay, if you're laughing, stop it. Start crying. You're joyful, stop it. So what is James saying? What's the context? The context is this, that, that he's talking to a group of people who are, who are all about their worldly lust, their worldly passions, a bunch of playboys, and they're hanging out here doing whatever they want to do, and, and it doesn't matter, and it's all about the next fix and the next high and the next good time and the next laugh, and it doesn't matter at whose expense I'm laughing. Have any of you have been like that? You, you love to tell jokes. I have been like that. I, I, I'm an entertainer, as you didn't know, and um, as you can tell. And so as I entertain, I want everybody to laugh in the room. And what I used to do oftentimes, I would, I would show somebody's flaws and pick on them so that everybody else would laugh. But that made me feel good because everybody's laughing because it's about the next laugh, the next joy. It's whatever you can do to get a laugh for yourself, because that's really, it's all about your pleasure and your passion. And James is saying, stop it. There are some things that are serious in life. There are some things that are serious in life, and, and I want you to have the joy of the Lord. I want you to be glad. I do want you to be happy. I'm not saying that, but if you're happy at the expense of God, you missed it. If your happiness 
Let's put God on the back burner. You missed it. And James is saying, I need you to start weeping and mourning. There's a huge explosion right now, a revival happening in China. People say that the gospel is getting dimmer and dimmer here in the United States. I heard this stat. It, it was crazy. Um, used to, the United States used to outnumber um, Christians in the world two to one. For every two Christians in North America, there was only one Christian outside of North America. That stat has gr- drastically changed. It now is the ratio is seven to one. There is seven more believers outside of the world to every one believer inside the United States. There is a revival happening all over the world, and we're seeing that over and over again. And in China, there was a group of men, about 20 million, just a small group of men, And as these 20 million began to gather and worship, they would live off of just maybe a page of the Bible, just a little snippet of scripture. And and whatever that scripture was, they would start to pour their affections out towards God. And, And there was a movement that began to see this. And they began to say, man, we need to weep for God's presence, that that we have been so arrogant, so caught up in our own worldly lust that we just need to start weeping and believing that that God is good. And, And so they were known as the weepers. And, and, and some theology was corrected in them, and there was some understanding that they understood that there was grace, that grace abound much more. But what they realized is God is so big, he's so amazing, and he's rescued me. And it's caused a shift, a cultural shift in me where I am starting to weep like I've never wept before. And my, my laughter and my joy that was all about me, has now turned to mourning. And when that mourning happens, you're going to see God put a new joy in you and new laughter in you and new desires in you. You know, the saying goes like this. You've been in the church any, any time at all. You must get low to get high. You must become last before you get first, before you become first. You must humble yourself and let God exalt you. No better person in the world showed this more to us than Jesus. In Philippians 2.8, it says this, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus became so low so that we can become high. And he cried tears so that we could laugh. And he did all this, and it was through Jesus. And as his side was pierced, the curtain was torn. Once a year, one man could enter into the presence of God. Once a year, one man could enter into the Holy of Holies. And in a moment, God tore the veil and allowed all of us in this room to enter in. And it's why this promise is so true. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You would stand this morning. I'm so 
so thankful. I'm so thankful that Jesus made a way for us. I'm thankful that Jesus allows us to draw near. I'm thankful that even though I'm jacked up, I know I can be in his presence. And the greatest part of that is recognition. I don't want you to weep for hours in the bedroom at night unless you're called to. And for some of you, you need to. I'm not asking for tears and Kleenexes this morning. What I'm asking for this week is awareness. Awareness. That, that drawing near to God could be simply just thinking about God. That we would be aware in our silent commute to work. When we want to sit there refrained and restrained and zone out with our cup of mint cafe and think about nothing. Could we be aware of Jesus? Could we be aware of Jesus when our kids go down for that nap at one o'clock? And the house is cluttered and it's crazy, but we just position our mind to say, Jesus, I draw near to you even while I'm cleaning. Could we be aware of God? Could we, we, we be aware of his subtleties? Let's pray this morning and be aware of him as we sing, draw near. Father, we love you this morning, God, and I just, I thank you, Jesus, for James being so blunt. And we are a prideful people with our flesh warring against our spirits. And yet, God, we truly desire your presence. And so, Lord, I'm praying that we be humble enough to draw near, to draw near, God, by thinking of you and who you are. And this morning, in the rain, God, I pray that we would draw near. We love you, Jesus. Let's worship him. Strings of my heart. 
Of my 